Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this message, Billy Humphrey returns to Song of Solomon, teaching on how the Lord uses hard seasons of our lives to invite us into deeper fellowship and intimacy with Him. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Okay, uh, we're going to continue with our Song of Solomon series, Bouncing Back. Um, And I know I was in um, L.A. a few weeks ago, and Gus uh, preached out of Song of Solomon 5, but I'm going to come back and double-stitch Song of Solomon 5, not because Gus didn't do an awesome job, but just because I wanted to get my Song of Solomon 5 on. So uh, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the spirit of revelation. I pray rest on our hearts right now. Lord, help us to put a draw on Holy Spirit to teach us, fill us with light and understanding. Lord, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Okay, um, so yeah, we are actually, I think this is session eight that's a lot of Song of Solomon, people. We've got a lot of Song of Solomon. We've got a little bit more to go, so we're not going to stop short. Um, if you are new to this series, if you're uh, visiting us, if this is your first time or whatever, Song of Solomon is a biblical allegory, which that just means it's a figurative story that tells about our relationship as the bride with Jesus, who is the bridegroom. And so we've been working through the story, and what we found is this. In chapter 1 of Song of Solomon, we start the story with this maiden, and she is burned out. She is full of shame. Her life is in a shambles. And at the same time, this beautiful uh, prince, king, sees her, and he says she's beautiful. And so that's the picture of Jesus who finds us in our wreck and calls out the beauty in our hearts. Well, he, they go through this process where she, he is calling out the budding virtues of who she is, and, and she's falling in love with him. She's getting a, a brand new identity, and by the end of chapter 2, he says, I want you to come with me because I'm not just a bridegroom. I'm also a warrior king. Let's go to the mountains. And what happens is she says, I'm not ready to go to mountains. I can't do mountains. I can only do like hanging out with you on, under the shade tree. I can't do this mountain thing because it's scary on mountains. And the mountains represent, you know, conquest over kingdoms and the kingdom of darkness. So she says, you go your way to the mountain and I'll do my own thing. And then in chapter three, what we find is what happens when the Lord is inviting us to go with him and we say no you go your way, I'll go and do my own thing. And she finds herself alone without him. And she's looking for him in all the old familiar places. She cannot find him. And so what happens is she quickly turns and she says, oh, no, no, it's way better with him, even if we're on the mountains, than it is me alone looking for him in my own safe spaces. And, uh, and then she finds him. It says when she finds him, she won't let him go. In chapter 4, we find that he is overwhelmed, that she would want to go with him, that she is putting away her fears, all her weaknesses. She's putting all those to the side so that she can run with him. And he says this amazing thing. He says, you have ravished my heart. That, to me, is is the pinnacle of this whole book, that God is ravished over us. He looks at us, and he is in love with us. And I want to say this to you really, really, really clearly. The revelation that you must know is God's love for you. Literally, everything else depends on how you understand God loves you. And if you don't have that one, it really doesn't matter what else you know. The love of God is the most critical revelation for each of us. We are all built to live on love. That's how we're built. And uh, I've done done pastoral ministry for something like almost 30 years. I've done more counseling meetings than 
anybody in this room wants to know about, unless you are like a psychology major and you love to do counseling or want to do it. And I would just tell you the vast, vast majority of the counseling that I've ever done, it has literally been whatever the challenges are, the answer is found in knowing the love of God more richly and more deeply. Because the stuff in our soul, they get so out of whack. It gets so bent out of shape. It's so, we get so oddly formed when anything else is inspiring us and motivating us than the love of God. You are made to be motivated by the love of God. And so we've been, we've been pounding through this. We've taken a couple months to work through this. And here's why it's just the very thing I just said. It really doesn't matter if we've got a vision for revival, breakthrough, evangelism, all these other things. If we don't know God's love, it really is worthless. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. You can do all the works. You can give your body to be burned. You can give all your money away. You can, you know, do all these things. But loveless works are worthless in the kingdom of God. And the only way to do works compelled by love, is to know the love of God for you. I'll just say it one more time. Loveless works are worthless in the kingdom of God. So whatever we do, if it's not compelled by love, 1 Corinthians 13 is really clear. It says it's a clanging symbol or a, a, a clanging gong or a, a clanging symbol. It is worthless. It's hollow ultimately. Okay, so end of chapter four, she's like all the way there. She's like, everything, anything, anything you want me to do, I want to do it. Come north winds, that's the cold winds. Come south winds, that's the warm winds. Come frigid cold or warm and refreshing. Come whatever kind of winds want to blow on my life, I'm here for it. Because I just want to please you. That's how she ends it. So, man, by chapter 5, you think, oh, it's, it's about to get, like, the story is about to get awesome. And chapter 5 is a massive, massive plot twist. Because instead of it getting, like, adventurously awesome, it gets awesome, but in a completely opposite way than you would expect. And so I want to just read chapter 5. I think chapter 5 has some of the most precious Bible verses in the entire Bible in chapter 5. That, I mean, and I, I don't, uh, that is not any kind of like an exaggeration, I, and I'll tell you why in a moment. And I'm preaching this to you as if Gus didn't say anything about it, so just, if you, if you already know everything I'm going to say, then fine, you already know it. But I'm going to preach it to you as if he hadn't talked about it yet. But let's read this, 16 verses. Open it up, get it on your device, look at it. Put your eyes on it. It's something about when you see it and hear it. And that, it doesn't go in and out one in one ear and out the other as easily. That was a beautiful time of intercession we had during worship. Thank you. Worship team, thank you for leading. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for ministering to us. Thank you for responding to the Holy Spirit. All right, here we go. Song of Solomon 5.1. I'm in the New King James. I have come to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I've drunk my wine with my milk. Eat, oh friends, drink, yes, drink deeply, oh beloved ones. That's in response to where she says, let the winds blow north or south. Let them blow my garden. Let all its spices flow out. In my opinion, and I'm not a Bible translator, but in my opinion, the chapter break should have come after verse 1. Verse 1 goes with chapter 4, verse 16. Okay? Chapter 5, in my opinion, little Billy don't know much, verse 2 should have started chapter 5. Just Billy the Philly, I don't know that much. All right. Here we go. I sleep, in fact, in my mind, I always forget that that verse is verse 1, because I start Song of Solomon, chapter 5, at verse 2. I sleep, but my heart is awake. It is the voice of my beloved. He knocks, saying, open for me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, 
for my head is covered with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I've taken off my robes, she answers. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I defile them? My beloved put his hand by the latch of the door, and my heart yearned for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid, liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had turned away and was gone. My heart leaped up when he spoke. I sought him, but I could not find him. I called him, but he gave me no answer. The watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am lovesick. And they answer, what is your beloved more than another beloved, O fairest among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you so charge us? And I'll just comment right there. She's beaten up. She can't find him. He invited her into the night. She can't find him. She's beaten up and she's lost her veil. And she's going, if you find him, tell him I'm lovesick. And they go, what is he? Why? Why would you want him? And here comes, in my opinion, about a cry on this one, gang. Verse 10 to 16 is some of the most beautiful powerful verses in the entire Bible because you get them from a heart of someone who's gone through suffering, gone through pain, gone through hardship. They've gone through everything that makes somebody quit and they're completely unoffended. And the response from that heart, she gives one of the most pure and rare descriptions of the beauty of Jesus. My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among 10,000. His head is like the finest gold. His locks are wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are like a bed of spices, banks of scented herbs. His lips are like lilies dripping liquid myrrh. His hands are rods of gold set with barrel. His body is carved ivory inlaid with sapphires. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of fine gold. His countenance is like Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Here's this whole story, guys. In chapter 1 through 4, she gets the information and the encounters with Jesus, but everything is theoretical until you have to walk it out. Have you ever noticed how your Christianity is all theory until it's tested? Everything in chapter 1 through 4, it's only theoretical until he says, now come with me. And he's invited her now into the night. Now the night represents suffering. It represents a time of challenge and trial and difficulty. He is not leaving her He is inviting her to know him more. And if you can catch a revelation of Song of Solomon 5, it will recontextualize all the hardest moments of your entire life. If you can understand it as a young person, you are going to be delivered from years of self-pity and entitlement. You'll be delivered from years of pain that didn't make sense. I I cannot tell you how many times I've met somebody in their 40s, 50s, 60s, yes, even in their 80s, and their whole life is framed up 
by a significant season of difficulty and challenge and pain that they were never able to comprehend why and what happened. And they lived their entire life through the lens of that one, ex- that one experience. I've shared with you before how my oldest brother drowned in a pool before I was born. I was born into a family that was in mourning and didn't know the Lord and did not know how to process the pain of that loss. So when I'm describing suffering and difficulty, I'm not speaking theoretically. I'm talking about what it's like when it's real, when it comes home, okay? My family growing up, we were not believers. We were Christian by name, but we, we were the like go to, go to church on Christmas and Easter people. We were that. And um, I've told you the stories, but we used to, my, they would send me and my brothers to church, and we would take the money. We'd go to McDonald's and buy a hamburger. We wouldn't even go to church. And then we'd come home, and then we would lie about what the pastor preached because we had to come up with some kind of message. We'd say, he preached about obeying your parents. He preached about telling the truth. Yeah, I was reserved. I was like, I was logging special sins for a special kind of judgment. <laughs> Spending the tithe money at McDonald's and then lying to your parents about going, yeah, that was special kind of stuff. When I got saved, that began the domino effect of everybody in my family getting saved. And everybody, my, all, both my brothers that are uh, still alive and both my parents, all have prayed to receive Jesus. And, uh, and, and that's how it works, gang. God ministers to you, and even if you're raised in a Christian family, he, he ministers to you, you get saved, and you become somebody else's domino to, to knock them into the kingdom. Do you know what I'm saying? That's how it's supposed to go. And I, and, and I would challenge you even to think, who's the dominoes in your life? That who, who's the ones you're supposed to be influencing? Like, let, let that dialogue take place between you and the Lord. Well, I, I share all that just to say that I'm not a stranger to understanding the pain of real, real suffering. And it wasn't until I was about 40 years old that I realized my family experience was this under this cloud of depression. That's why at holidays, different family members would be just in deep mourning because they were mourning the loss of my oldest brother. In fact, there's scripture that says when Israel realizes that they crucified Jesus, they will mourn for him like the loss of a firstborn son. Zechariah 12. And I, I know just a little bit of what that scene is like. It's intense. Here's the thing. God gives you the revelation of chapter 1 through 4. He gives you the revelation of his deep love, of how he feels about you, how he thinks about you, that he sees that your love is real, that even if you're immature, he, he says your love, though it's small, it's real. He gives you that revelation that in, even in your weakest moment, even your darkest moment, he says, you're beautiful to me. And we, we spent weeks and weeks and weeks talking about that. He does all of that because there is a deeper place of understanding that he wants to take you to. He wants to take you past just knowing the way he feels about you. He wants to take you to a place where you are in friendship with him, where you are fellowshipping with him, not just theoretically, oh, you make me feel good, oh, I love the peace you give me, but that you are hand in hand with Jesus. And here's the thing, coming in hand in hand with Jesus means this, you don't get to treat him like a buffet, You get all of him. 
you don't just get to have the parts of Jesus that make you feel happy. You actually get to experience the joy of him and the fact that he's the man of sorrows, which is like what you were experiencing tonight, even in that prayer time where you were just talking about how, man, I just felt heavy this week. And I was like, well, you just got to let it out. You know, we got to get into that place of prayer and tears need to come. And sometimes groans need to come and we got to let that out because we're partnering with him. That's fellowshipping with him. That's a friendship with him. But here's the point. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him, the power of his resurrection. And most Bible readers and teachers will go dot, dot, dot at that point in that verse. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, dot, dot, dot. Not knowing that the rest of the verse says, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to the image of his death. And I want to propose something to you. I need you to catch this. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of his resurrection is the entry place into knowing Jesus. It's not the high watermark. It's the entrance. The fellowship of his suffering takes you into the deep end of the pool. And being conformed to the image of his death, that's where you become conformed to his image and likeness. Are you following me? Here's the big malady of Western Christianity. We want a crossless Christianity. We want a Jesus without discipleship. We want a worship that doesn't require sacrifice. We want all the blessing and none of the trials of Christ. We don't really want to have to experience what it's like when people who really, in the core of who they are, they don't love righteousness. And thus, when you are siding with Jesus... And righteousness, all of a sudden you become really uncool. We don't want the persecution for righteousness sake. We just don't. We want the make me feel good Jesus, make me happy Jesus. But we don't want the conform to the image of his death Jesus. If we're honest. And I would just say, this is where he invites her in Song of Solomon 5. This is where he invites her. He says, come, come, my beloved. And notice, when he first invites her in, he says, my love, my dove, my perfect one. I mean, he's showering her with his affections for her. I love you. You're faithful. You're perfect. Come, come know me more. And so he says, he says uh, I'm, I'm coming out of the night and I'm knocking on your door. He goes, my head is covered with the drops of the night. Do you remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane right before the cross? He's out there. He's in the night. He's bearing the sin of the world. He's suffering for the sin of humankind. He's getting ready to go to the cross. That's what this is a picture of. He says, come, come into the night with me. Come into the cross with me. She goes, I, I, I've, I've taken off my robe. How can I put it on again? I've, I've washed my feet. I, I've, I've cleansed myself. I've become very vulnerable to you. And, and, and you want me out in the night? She heard his hand on the latch of the door. She says, my heart was yearning for him. She put her hands on the latch, and now her hand is dripping with myrrh. Where's the myrrh coming from? It's coming from his hand because he's coming to bring her into the night. She touches the latch, and it's, it's, now it's on her. Myrrh is the burial spice. He's inviting her into the cross. She said, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened, but he had turned away. He was gone. So she walks into the night, 
and she can't feel him and she can't see him and she can't hear him anymore. And beloved, this is where the rubber meets the road in your Christianity. And I cannot tell you over the years how many believers I have met. They, they, maybe they had a season of Song of Solomon 1 through 4. They found the love of God. Something was moving in their heart. Maybe they even did seasons of disobedience and they came back to the Lord. But there was a whole other thing that God was inviting them to. And it's, it's called being conformed to the image of Christ. Being crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. This has always been the message of Christianity. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, guys, take up your cross. We've made the cross a piece of jewelry. And you can get it in gold, in silver, or platinum. You can get it in costume jewelry, or you can get the real stuff. You can get it diamond encrusted. You can get it all sorts of different ways. The cross is a means of torturing and killing people. It's as dark as a noose or an electric chair. But we have, we have so stylized the cross and made it so palatable that we wear it as a trinket and sort of a mascot and an emblem of our churchianity. And it's really convenient when the cross is something I can take off of my neck and put in my pocket if I'm not in a crowd that's going to appreciate the cross He goes, my beloved, come with me. Come into the night with me. Come and know who I am. Come and know my sufferings. Come and know what it means to be rejected and despised of men. My beloved, come with me. Come and know every bit of me. Fellowship with me in the dark night. Most Believers get into the dark night, and what happens is they get so offended. It got hard. I can't hear him. I'm struggling. It's difficult. People are mistreating me. People are mocking me. People are persecuting me. And what happens is this, we feel like it's not fair that anybody would mistreat us in any way and that we wouldn't get what we wanted or expected. And so because we are carrying around enormous entitlements, we have no understanding that Jesus is inviting us into a depth of himself that can only be found through the cross. And we live offended with God. And we've misunderstood and mischaracterized the hardest moments of our lives. And I've watched this for years now where people live stuck. The 60-year-old is stuck at something that they went through when they were 20. And they can't get past it. Those people mistreated me. They acted bad towards me. I was hurt. I don't know how God could let me go through that. How could God let God go through that? What we don't recognize is in America, we are literally padded with every convenience, every pleasure, every desire. Everything we want is at our fingertips. If we can't get the one we want, we can get something like it. The food you want is available. The clothes you want are available. Can't pay for the real stuff? Just get it on Shine or whatever. <laughs> whatever it is.
Everything that I want, I can put my hands on. And anything that I don't want, I don't have to have. I can, I, I mean, we are so insulated. We are so padded. It's like we're walking around in bubble wrap, padding ourselves with pillows, eating cotton candy all day long. And we have, and here's our problem. We are so soft and we have no concept of how soft we really are. Have you ever noticed how the normal conversation, and this isn't with people all over the world, I've been to many nations, but the normal conversation with Americans tends to complain. We're the most supplied and the complainy and whiniest people. Take that, try to go deep in Jesus, and he goes, come on with me to the cross, guys. Guys, hey guys, I'm trying to bring you deep with me. We're going to, guys. And our own prosperity keeps us out of intimacy. Our own prosperity and entitlement, our own prosperity has deceived us into believing we are entitled to get more than what we have and we're entitled to be treated better than we are and we have no palate for the cross of Christ. So when something bad happens, we blame God and then we revoke chapter one through four. If he loved me, he'd make it easy on me. This is why I've stood up here behind this table and behind this mic and told you guys so many times, hard is not bad. It's not bad. Hard is hard. So what? Hard's hard. And our version of hard isn't hard. You want to talk about hard? Let's go to North Korea. Let's meet 100,000 of your brothers and sisters who were born into prison camps. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's go to Syria where civil war has completely ripped and ravaged that place. Let's go right now to Gaza where there are born again Palestinian believers who are being pushed around by Hamas, experiencing Israel's retaliation against Hamas where there's a humanitarian crisis and they're in the middle of war and they're born again just like you are. Let's, let's I mean, just be honest. Let's talk about hard. I have had to work very tirelessly to root out the entitlements in my own soul, and I'm not even close to fully there. I'm ashamed at my own sense of privilege, what people owe me, what I should get, and how when God doesn't come through at the snap of my fingers, I'm offended with how he hasn't led me well. Friends, this is the message of Song of Solomon. That he's like, if you really want to know me, you have to know my cross, guys. Because here's what's coming after five, comes six, seven, and eight. And I'll tell you, preview, six, seven, and eight. Six, she finds herself mature and she's a leader. Seven, there's a group that really loves her and a group that really hates her and it rolls right off of her back. Eight, she is burning, sealed with a fire of love. And when she comes up out of the wilderness, you can't tell if it's him or her. And in the process, she's been so transformed that now they're looking at this girl that started with shame. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Now they're looking at her, and everybody goes, we want to look at you some more, and wait, we want to look at him. Guys, you can't get to six, seven, and eight without five. What's wild is in the story of Song of Solomon, when she gets to two and she says, go, be like a gazelle on the mountains of Bether, if she would have said, I'll come with you, I'm convinced. Song of Solomon, end of chapter two, she goes, if she would have said, I'll come with you, it starts with, by night on my bed, I hear the door knock. He would have invited her right into the night. Her unwillingness to follow him 
makes the process longer. And what I've watched believers, guys, guys, oh, you can get this. I've watched believers get thwarted in their walk with Jesus and just be completely stagnant over 30 and 40 years of Christianity because they will not walk with him through Song of Solomon 5. Here's the power of Song of Solomon 5. She gets wounded. She gets wounded by watchmen even. Even leaders that are supposed to tell her the way to go. She gets wounded in the church even. How many people have I met? I got wounded in the church. I'm not going to church anymore. Notice, when she gets wounded by the watchmen, they took my veil away. Remember chapter one, she says, why should I be veiled? He goes, I love you. Come know me and you won't. And after five, after she goes through being mistreated, the veil lifts. It's through suffering that the veil is taken away. So by the time verse 10 comes, they're looking at her in eight and nine, they're going, what is he? What is he? What is he more than another? You're all beaten up. They don't even like you. Why would you want to follow him? What is he? She goes, oh, I'll tell you what he is. My beloved is beautiful. He's white and radiant. He's the fairest of 10,000. I was 33 years old. I was living in Kansas City. I had a ministry trip I was invited to go on with an author and speaker named Bob Sorge. Some of you may have read his books. Bob Sorge went, was a worship leader who had a vocal nodule. They were going to do a simple surgery to remove the vocal nodule off of his vocal cord. When they did the surgery, it destroyed his ability to speak. It was supposed to enhance his voice, get it back. He lost his voice completely. Bob can talk about like this for about an hour a day. That's it, and it's extremely painful. Through that, God gave him this writing gift. And if you read any of Bob Sorge's books, it will blow your mind. So Bob, whenever he travels, he has to have an attendant to go with him because he can't navigate an airport, he can't get a taxi, he can't, all the 10 things. So you have to be his voice. And he just writes little notes to you, hands them to you. And he likes to bring different guys that he wants to get to know because, man, you get to know Bob really well on one trip. So I'm going with Bob. Well, we're sitting there in the Kansas City airport getting ready to take off, and I'll never forget it because we were trying to get our bags checked in, and our, our bag tags came up, and um, I've got my bags in his bag, so it's hard to get them all moving at the same time. And the lady is going, his name is Bob Sorge. The lady behind the counter is going, Bob Sorge, Bob Sorge. I go, um, um. I go, I, I, hold on, and I, I, I go, hey, this, this is Bob Sorge. She goes, well, why didn't he say something? I was like, oh, he goes, no, 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 no. That's all he said, he goes, no, 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 no. And so I don't explain it. I go, I'm so sorry. Here's our bags. Go there, sit down, waiting to get on the plane, look over. Here's Gary Weens. Gary Weens is an author. He's written two uh, really, really powerful books. One's called Bridal, Inter Bridal Intercession about the bridal paradigm. One is called Come to Pop about the Father Heart of God. Gary is sitting there, and at that time, his wife Mary had stage four cancer. She would die in three weeks. So I've got Bob Sorge on one side and Gary Weens on the other side, and I'm going to go on a ministry trip. And that first night of the conference, it's worship, 
and they're singing that song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. Blessed be your name, land that is plentiful. The seas of abundance flow, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in a barren place. He gives and takes away. He gives and takes away. So my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. I got Bob on one side, and he's mouthing the words with both hands in the air. And I got Gary on the other side, and he's singing them at the top of his lungs. And I'm just, it's just one of those moments in my life, 33-year-old me, and I'm going like, I'm not even sure like I'm a real, like I'm a legit Christian. Because I'm staring at two men who are walking through the dark night. Unoffended. And I asked Gary, I said, I said, how's, how's Mary doing? And we were sitting in the airport getting ready to go, how's Mary doing? He goes, I just came from the hospital. They just pumped a half gallon of fluid off of her lungs. I was just like, dude, I am so sorry. He goes, no, it's okay. He said, I've got people coming up to me, calling me, praying for us, trying to encourage us. He goes, I've got people from all over the nation, all over the world, reaching out to us. He goes, but the thing that really bothers me is when they come up to me and they just say, it's just not fair, Bob. Or, it's just not fair, Gary. It's just not fair. He goes, not fair. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's the fairest of 10,000. I'm struck as I'm sharing this that my two brothers' names are Bob and Gary. This hadn't dawned on me before. Listen, there are things you're going to go through. And you're not going through them because he's left you. You're going through them because he's inviting you to know him. And you can't know him fully unless you know the fellowship of his sufferings. And our propensity to complain and to be entitled, and to be offended when things don't go our way, it keeps us out of fellowshipping with Him. And I mean, I would just say the vast majority of believers I know, they carry offense towards God because of the hard moments of their lives. And they don't understand that he invited them into the suffering so that they would know him more. He invited them into the suffering so that they would know him more. He's answering the desire of her heart. Sustain me. Refresh me. Because I'm lovesick. Well, she gives 10 details of his beauty, starting with his leadership, starting with his beauty, his zeal, his love, his emotions. But the way that she ends it, and I'll just end it with this, the way that she ends it, and she says, his mouth is most sweet. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend. She's unoffended. She's saying, he is my friend, and I'm unoffended. 
And I would just ask you, what is it that you've walked through that was hard? What is it that you've gone through that was challenging that you blamed God for? That you said to the Lord, don't you care? Don't you see? Don't you know? Maybe you're in the middle of something right now. Maybe you're blaming God for something right now. And I will tell you, He is not your problem. Guys, He's not your problem. He's so committed to you. He will not leave you as you are. And He's so willing to introduce Himself to you. He'll even, he'll even express Himself through the dark night. Because He wants you to know everything about Him. He wants you to experience everything about His own soul. He wants you to know the, the deepest place of Himself. It wasn't to break you that you went through the hardship. It was to make you. Yeah, let's just stand. Two thoughts. We'll just we'll just answer this call and just have a moment to pray together. One, you've gone through something really hard and you thought God left you in it. You didn't feel like you could trust Him. You blamed Him instead of realizing He was inviting you into suffering so you could fellowship with Him in it. So you've gone through something hard and God wants to recontextualize it for you right now. He wants to reorient it for you. Two, you're in the moment where there's something that's not going the way you want it. And you're realizing the entitlements of your own soul are keeping you from intimacy with Jesus. Listen to me, guys. This is a moment of transformation for you. To repent of those places of entitlement, to repent of blaming God, being offended with God, coming out of that and coming into agreement that His ways are perfect, His love is perfect, and He's inviting you to know Him more intimately, more fully either of those applies to you. I just want to invite you out from where you're standing. Just come on down here. Just meet with the Lord for a moment. Just move. You've been offended. You've blamed Him. Entitlement. Just come. Just come. Just come. We don't step out of our offense into shame. We step into liberty. Come on, if you're coming forward, come all the way. Just come. Come all the way. been offended with him, tell him, Lord, I've been offended. I'm sorry. 
felt entitled for more, better. Shouldn't have gone the way it did. I deserve better, more. Just confess that. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I don't want my heart to be fragile. I want to stand in the dark night, unoffended, saying that you're beautiful. Sorry where I've blamed you or said that you weren't good. Forgive me. Your leadership is perfect. You've led me well. Tell him you've led me well. And I want to know you in everything that you are. I want to know the cross, even if it means that I'm crucified with Christ. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next message.